1: hot cakes. This is Mary. Before we get started with this week's show, I just want to drop a little disclaimer that if it sounds like Amy is in a torrential downpour uh, with a crazy storm outside, it's because she is. Uh, She's perfectly safe. That's just how it rains in Costa Rica. If you're hearing a little bit of rain, a little bit of wind, totally fine. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with your connection. Um, We just had a little bit of a weather mishap.
0: Hey, hotcakes. Welcome to Hot Take. I'm Amy Westervelt.
1: And I'm Marianne Ys-Hegler.
0: And today, we're watching TV. You know what? Sometimes you need a break and you need to just stream some content, Mary.
1: Yeah, you know, it, there was a mega climate bill passed last week and, you know, we've talked a lot about how we feel about what's in it, what's not in it. There's so much more that we could do about that, but also our brains kind of need a break. And yes. so to do that, you know, sometimes you turn to a little bit of, of binge-watching TV, just like everybody else. That's right. Once upon a time, binge-watching TV was an escape from thinking about or talking about climate change, but it's not anymore, and I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally. Like it. Exactly, yeah. It used to be when climate change came up on TV, it was kind of like on accident. I I remember when I was like, oh, I'm gonna escape from everything, and I started watching the Great British Baking Show over the Christmas holidays a couple of years oh, and then ago. It would get, like too hot, in yeah, tent
0: or whatever. Yeah, nobody <laughs> yeah. could make a
1: souffle; it kept falling. And it's like it's not supposed to be that hot in London. And <laughs> mm. so there we yes. go. Yes. Yeah,
0: but it's starting to come up in, in actually intentional ways quite a bit, which is refreshing because I think the thing I most like to see is that it's just being written into different shows as kind of part of the world that people are living in because they're supposed to be living in the current day. And it would be weird if climate change wasn't a part of that world. So you're you're really starting to see that more and more. And we're going to talk about, you know, some of our Favorite examples of that. We're going to share some examples from both TV and movies. We're going to talk about some suggestions that readers sent in. And I think this is not a one-time-and-that's-it discussion. I think oh, we'll yeah. probably revisit this topic many
1: times because there's more and more stuff. Yeah, we're going to need another TV break at some point. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so... It it used to be like we would watch TV and we would find the climate narratives through metaphors and things like that. And now it's just so much more explicit. And, yeah, it's, it's great to see what people are doing with it.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
1: Agreed. And with that, I think it's time, Mary. It's time to talk about climate. Okay. So the first show I really want to talk about with you is one of my favorite shows ever, uh, Tuca and Birdie, which originally aired on Netflix and then Netflix canceled it. And I was really sad and, you know, ready to pick up a pitchfork. But it recently got picked back up. I don't remember actually who picked it back up for season two. It's now on Adult Swim. And... Um, it's also being aired on HBO Max. So I recently caught up on season two, and now we're in the middle of season three. So in the middle of the of season two, there was this one little allusion to climate change where the inside of Tuca's brain, Tuca's played by uh, Tiffany Haddish, and the inside of her brain goes like, the most important thing is climate change. And then that's kind of it for the rest of the episode. And to me, it kind of confirmed for me that a lot of these animated adult shows, I thought were about to emerge as an escape from climate change. Because like you were talking about a minute ago, if it's a TV show and it's set in present day, how on earth can it possibly avoid talking about climate change? So I thought shows like Bojack Horseman, Tukin and Bertie, and all of these other adult animation shows were just going to be escapism from climate change, right? Because they're creating this world where natural ecosystems don't really even exist, You know, all those laws just don't even make any sense anymore. But anyway, that was not a one off reference to climate change. And in fact, the season two finale of Tuca and Birdie was all about this big climate disaster, this giant flood in Birdtown that was a result of climate change. And they actually talk about it explicitly.
0: Bears Tim Tam, what can you tell us
1: about the state of the levee? We want to reassure the citizens of Birdtown that everything's fine. We have a drainage system in place for just this sort of event. What do you say about reports that Foss has been clogging the drain? Hmm. Huh. No worries. We have a failsafe in place. And the plan is everyone should leave Birdtown if they have the means to do so. Also, we will not be canceling schools. Bye-bye. Let me sit shotgun, you No, oh, me, you won't return. You heard our turd mayors use your helicopter or other private vessel and get yourselves to safety. And they have wow. to find a way to, to get out of the flood, and of course, it, it starts to turn into disaster preparedness. Can you depend on your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? How, where's your safe house? When do you leave? When do you evacuate? And it was really, really well done.
0: That's awesome! Yeah, that's really awesome. I watched the first season and loved it, too. And I cannot access HBO Max
1: anymore. In Costa Rica? Anymore. However,
0: wow. yeah, it, it doesn't stream here. But I found a new... I found a solution. I signed up for this, like, VPN service that lets me pretend that I'm in the U.S. And then I can get my HBO
1: <laughs> to work. Okay, Amy, be so careful. i catch up. Be careful out here, all right? <laughs> I, I don't want you getting got over some Tuca and Birdie, like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? Um, HBO Max is n- is going to be part of Discovery Plus soon. So I Whatever feel like is. I don't know what that means, but I feel like I feel like it means I'm going to get away with it. I'm just mm-hmm.
1: Kidding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, one more thing that happens in the storyline and is happening in season three now. So Birdie and her um, partner, Speckle were planning to buy a house out in the suburbs. They were going to leave Birdtown and go live in the suburbs in this house. And as a result of the flood, their their house gets pretty much like washed away. They were just about to move into it. The house gets washed away. And Speckle, who is an architect, decides, you know what? We're not going to leave Birdtown. And instead of building a house here, I'm going to build... An apartment building, basically, with a public park. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, we need mm-hmm. to live more densely, which is a climate solution. Nice. And so yes, it is. And so going into season three, he's having all of these fights with the city and all of these other entities who are like, oh, but we don't want a public park because then the, you know, people who don't have homes will, will be there. Oh, we don't want it to be open to low income because then low income people <laughs> will live there. Like.
0: Right. He's coming up against right. all of
1: these, all of this nimbyism, uh-huh. which is a big barrier to a lot of climate solutions. Nimbyism to <laughs> folks who are a lot cooler than us. Nimbyism is people who are basically like not in my backyard. Like I support low income housing in theory, but I don't want it near me because I associate it with crime and, and other things. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting to watch this play out in season three as well.
0: That's awesome. Well, there again, that's such a good example of them incorporating it into their world and their characters in a way that makes sense for them instead of... I feel like for a really long time, when you did see climate change show up in shows, it was like, it was so ham-fisted. Yeah. It was so like, and now here is our climate episode. And then it would be like, here's a very serious climate scientist coming to tell us about stuff and, and or here is a very annoying and shrill environmental activist mm-hmm. you know? and that was it so it's it's very cool to see to see it just start to make its way into you know cool
1: shows
0: in a way that makes sense within that show that's exactly. great
1: exactly so whoever is writing it and Bertie, birdie keep it up i love it good job Um,
0: Okay, I want to talk about the show For All Mankind, which is not my general genre of show. Um, I know there are a lot of sci-fi fans in Climate World. I have not traditionally been one of them, but I am married to a giant sci-fi guy who also happens to be a huge space nerd. So... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I love how you talk shit about your husband on the show constantly
0: <laughs> there was no way that w- I was gonna get out of watching this show It is an Apple TV show okay it it basically is set in the in a sort of alternate reality in which the Russians won the race to the moon and therefore the space race never ended so okay. basically like you know, because the U.S. had to like continue to compete, that they kept you know, investing in the space program. And so one of the things that happens in the course of that is that actually they solve for climate change because they needed a cheaper, more efficient fuel for rockets, which led to a massive adoption of nuclear energy. Vision, with an eye, is nuclear power as we know it.
1: It splits an atom which releases energy. ...but it also creates radioactive waste. Fusion, on the other hand, fuses two atoms. This releases a lot more energy. And if you use an element like Helium-3, you'll create a lot less waste. Wait, so they solve so they solve for climate change on accident by solving another problem? Yes. But yes, and an
0: effort to like get rockets to be faster. But it's interesting cuz like in the in sort of the context of this show, you still have like Jimmy Carter in the 70s talking about the need to do something about global warming and you have solar panels on the White House and all of that kind of stuff. But you also have then Reagan in the 80s, you know, being in favor of shifting towards nuclear energy because it will help win the space race. Now, before people fire up the Google machine and start sending me emails about how terrible nuclear is, I'm not saying that I think nuclear is the end-all-be-all solution necessarily, or that it isn't. I'm not, i am not like, coming out, on one side or the other there. I, I have a very like mixed feelings about <laughs> about yeah. nuclear. I'm just talking about what
1: happens in the context of this show. Real quick, if you are moved to send us any sort of, you know, pro nuclear, anti-nuclear communications, please address it to the care of Brian Kahn, B K A H N mm-hmm. at Protocol.com. That's right.
0: Brian receives all of our mail for us mm-hmm. and we thank him for it. And he'll be happy for your service, to get it. Brian. He'll be happy to get yes. it. Yes. It's true. Um so anyway, yeah, that's that's like a whole kind of interesting thing. Yeah, there there are lots of very interesting plot lines that emerge as as the show goes on. Like there's there's also a whole private space travel thing where a company that looks a lot like SpaceX and or whatever Jeff Bezos's thing is, except that it's run by a man of color who's, like, a first-generation born in the U.S. Like, dad is an immigrant kind of backstory. So he actually has a very different approach to space tourism, and that's very interesting. He also has this interesting approach to running his company as well, where he's opposed to any kind of hierarchy, he has fairly liberal politics, like, politics, Anyway, so yeah, it's interesting how they play with these different kind of historical arcs and just sort of tweak them slightly and then how they're dealing with kind of bringing it up to the modern day. It sort of starts in like the 50s and now we're up to like the early 2000s. Um, But then it's also really interesting to see how they handle the idea of making Mars livable. So far in the show, they've only like just started to touch down on mars there's no terraforming happening yet there's no like there's no new civilization being formed but there is a lot of like geopolitical fighting over Mm. territory and space that i find really interesting and probably like pretty accurate so anyway yeah it's uh, it's good i like it Any aliens? No aliens yet. I can't imagine that that won't come into play at
1: some point. Right? Because I I always think about, like, oh, we we talk about politics on Earth as though these are, like, immutable forces. But, like, what would happen Mm -hmm. if we got into, you know, a political dick-swinging contest with, like, you know— those aliens from The Simpsons. Just to like quickly comment on that,
0: there has been a lot of this news recently of like strange space activity, let's say.
1: Oh really? <laughs>
0: so yeah, I don't know if you caught in on that. There was like a congressional committee talking about it and um, all kinds of stuff. so
1: no, but I saw nope. Yes, the Joy The movie about yes. uh, aliens. I got to say, I have a lot yes. of questions about that movie. Also, this is a great opportunity for me to push my favorite uh, conspiracy theory, which I don't believe is a theory. I think it's just a straight up fact. Octopuses are aliens. It's ve- like, it's oh, like yeah. in our faces mm-hmm. at this point. Yes. So, like, yes. let's not sit here and pretend that th- any of this is fantastical. These things can open doors. Octopuses are wild. I actually saw one in the
0: ocean once doing its whole weird, like, mating dance. No. And it
1: is, like, the freaky thing I have ever seen. Absolutely (laughs) the fuck not. I will not Google that. I will not. They can do all sorts of crazy shit. They can unscrew mason jars. They can camouflage as coconuts. How do they know about coconuts? Because they're aliens. And squids... Squids are octopus babies because squid is a result of an octopus fucking a fish. All right. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's
0: gross. I hope the octopus at least does a colorful dance for the fish first.
1: I'm just saying, don't (laughs) eat an octopus. They will haunt you. They are sentient enough to have ghosts. Yes. I think that's very true very very true
0: okay so the other one that i just started watching is called occupied on netflix and it's super interesting i've only gotten as far as the first episode of the first season so i don't think this is going to be like a huge spoiler (laughs) for folks what happens if we all stop using fossil fuel today that was a very enthusiastic
1: jasper berg addressing the u.n last autumn So tell us, how did he manage to convince the Norwegians to turn off their oil and gas production? In a word,
0: Maria. Perik and Maria had a catastrophic effect on Norway. I'm not just talking about the
1: six or 700 lives lost. There was an enormous amount of material damage. And in this traumatic situation, Jesper Berg found an audience for his environmental policies, which his party has been promoting for a very long time, and he found himself swept into office on a wave of enthusiasm. It
0: starts in, like, I want to say 2017 was the first season, and it starts with this premise that that the prime minister of Norway just decides to shut down all oil and gas production in Norway in an effort to address climate change. And he has invested heavily in a renewable energy program that's going to replace it. And he's kind of, it's sort of like, you know, he's been trying to push the EU to do this, to transition slowly away from fossil fuels and they're not doing it. So he's just like, fine, fuck you guys. We're not going to produce any more oil and gas. (laughs) And then what happens next is, is fascinating. It's really, really interesting. Just like how, how, this fictitious European Union reacts to that and what happens as as this whole thing kind of unfolds. But the premise is super, super interesting.
1: How far along is it? Is this season one?
0: I'm just in I'm just at episode one, season one, but I think there were like three or four seasons of it. So sorry. The first season was in 2015, and then there were three seasons. So it ended in 2018, which is fascinating because that's the year that, you know, we got this huge report from the IPCC about how how dangerous climate change was going to be. So it was pretty early, I think, on that front. And it's interesting to see kind of how it plays out. It's it's kind of like a um, thriller suspense type show. Is
1: it scary? It's
0: not super scary. It's more like intrigue and espionage and, you know, okay. that kind of stuff. So, yeah,
1: I liked it. I'm definitely going to add it to my list.
0: I was surprised. I, I actually was like... Um, When I first read the description, I was like, I don't know about this, but I
1: liked it. So um,
0: at least so far, again, I'm I'm very early in the series. So if if anyone wants to share a different opinion, I'm open to it. And again, you can send that to Brian Kahn.
1: (laughs) Yes. B-K-A-H-N at protocol.com. That's right. That's right. So I'm going to talk to you about a show that kind of frustrated me. It's okay. called Monsterland. I watched it on Hulu, but I think it probably airs on some other seasons too. And it's it's kind of like it's like a ten episode series, but each one is a self contained narrative, it, kind of in the same way that oh, Black that's Cool, yeah, kind of in the same way like that Black, Black Mirror Mira is, which Black Mirror mm-hmm. has a lot of climate themes too. And I would have gone back to watch some of that to, to so that we could talk about it. But you know what? I've got enough <laughs> I've got enough creepiness going on in my brain right now. I, I don't think I can handle a Black mm-hmm. Mirror marathon right now. Yeah, so Monsterland has one of those episodes is explicitly about climate change and it opens up with this fancy oil CEO in his Manhattan apartment and he's in big trouble because his oil company has just had a massive spill in the ocean. Very much like it, it looks like a dead ringer for the BP oil spill. And he's got to go before mm-hmm. Congress, and he's got to testify and take responsibility and he's got all these people advising him, he's nervous as hell. Also evil is hell dude is super evil and then he becomes the antichrist okay so we (laughs) were we were just about to do climate and then we did a hard pivot deep into the bible right into the old testament okay nah, nah, this would be the new testament the antichrist is the new New testament Testament. but yes yes. so he's like full-on you know, the exorcist head spinning around, floating, levitating oh, and shit. Man. And so now his assistant, instead of getting him prepped for his testimony, has to go find an exorcist, like a literal exorcist. <sighs> and the climate starts changing <laughs> because dude is possessed. So it mm-hmm, starts mm-hmm. like hailing and storming and earthquaking and all of this stuff because dude is possessed. Finds an exorcist, exorcist comes. Exercise is oh boy, climate goes back to normal. I don't know what to do about that oil spill. I don't know what to do. Like, climate change becomes this preordained thing that can be reversed. And I I actually think that plays into a pretty old Hollywood trope, going back to, like, other sorts of um, movies like that from the 80s and 90s, where Mm -hmm. you know, the weather starts changing and we start breaking all the seven seals, and it just becomes this Pre-assumed notion that this, like the all of this, was meant to be. All of this was written and was going to come to pass either way. And almost like, right. almost like underwriting the Bible's own idea of free will. Like, those things only happen uh-huh. if you make them happen, you know? And I know this isn't a, a religion podcast, and so I don't I do mean to— I, I hope I'm not making our listeners uncomfortable by talking about this, but that has been a trope in the way that climate change has been talked about in this country and pro- portrayed in our media uh-huh. as this, like, predestined yes. thing. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and
0: that— Also is a big part of how a lot of right-wing groups kind of position it too. And in fact, actually, there's this this very interesting overlap between fossil fuel industry spokespeople and like pretty extreme forms of Christianity. There's there's this really famous old video of of a guy who was like the spokesperson for Peabody Coal talking about how like God wants you to put emissions into the air and
1: Yeah, that, you know, yeah, that, like that. You know the earth is theirs for the, ex- is yours for the exploiting.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the whole preordained thing too. And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's very interesting. Well, that's a shame. So it sounds like they almost engaged with that, but then sort of like backtracked and did, did a, a tired trope.
1: Yeah. And also by that metric, that means it can be reversed by basically just like, you know,
0: doing an exorcism by an exorcism,
1: <laughs> right. Like it doesn't yeah. take systemic change to to fix it. and so, yeah, there is another episode that deals with um you know a, a fisherman who was affected by the oil spill, but it it was too slow. it was too slow i I got lost bummer, bummer.
0: well, we're gonna talk about another show that engages with another kind of Trope we hear about all the time the idea that the free market can solve climate change. That's coming up after this quick break. Yes. All right. Okay, Mary, do you watch the show Billions at all? Did you ever um, get into that show?
1: No, it looks a little too bro-y and too mathy for me. Yes, uh, I think yeah,
0: that's an accurate read. It's quite bro-y and quite mathy, and also like just very wordy. Like sometimes I I can't. It's not one of those shows that you can just sort of like have on in the background and be like, you know, taking care of administrative tasks while you watch it because. It's so like every every line of dialogue is is, is comp is complicated, you know but it does do this thing that I think is pretty interesting in the context of, of talking about climate in TV, which is that, uh, there's a pretty long running whole climate plot line. it's been It's been in there the last several seasons.
1: Oh, really. So they're like ahead of the game. Yeah, they've actually been
0: doing it for quite a while. So one one of the analysts is named Taylor, and they have a real interest in clean technology and in kind of equity in general and equality and, and really in the idea of using investments to kind of try to solve the world's big problems so they start like a fund within the larger fund that's the focus of the show with the purpose of investing in like renewable energy and you know sustainable ag products and stuff like that i want you to introduce taylor to Raytheon solar the solar panels if we can make the world aid board invest that stock will go through the roof so we need to be in position it's going to be huge and i want it in the main fund when i'm back And it'll be done I can't be seen a steering tailor, so I'll put it in front of them, but don't. And it's it's pretty well done. Like it's pretty you can tell that whoever is writing those storylines has done their homework, you know? Like there's a lot of times where they'll be super into an investment and then they'll realize that, you know, oh, actually this might help with emissions, but it creates this huge problem with oh, really? water sources. Yeah, like they actually they actually get into that where it's like, oh, you know, we were going to make a bunch of money off of this thing. But then we realized that the technology is totally unproven. You know, like they that happened around an investment that I want to say was uh, like related to, to geoengineering. Interesting. But yeah, like they've... It's been like going for quite a while and they get into a fair bit of detail. And then what ends up happening a lot of the times is that the investment, like some investment that they make will like butt up against the larger firm's desire to like make money off of fossil fuels or make money off of some airline or something like that and that's like the source of various conflicts and things but I like it I like the way they handle it because a this character is very smart Mm -hmm. and is like the smartest you know analyst in the firm so it's not a situation it's a queer person right
1: it's
0: a a trans person yeah and like yeah so it's a trans person who's extremely smart who is not at all like oh this is a silly idea or whatever. Like, the idea is taken very seriously. The character is considered within the universe of the show to be, the, like, the most brilliant person. Oh, you good. know? So, like...
1: So they're respected. They're not, like, ridiculed as, like, some sort of bleeding heart uh, type of person. Good. That's right.
0: Yes. However, I think it absolutely reinforces the idea of... Don't worry, solving for climate can be good for the economy. It can make everybody lots of money. Yeah, (laughs) like that. That is very much um, a current. But it, I think it would be really hard in that show to have anything not be about that. Yeah, And there is also like the the whole, you know, sort of the central conflict of the show is always this one politician who is continuously talking about how, you know, billionaires have too much power, which is also like very tongue in cheek because he himself is like from a wealthy family and, you know, mm-hmm. um, wields wields power. Are fairly like unethically you know so so anyway it's sort of I think that's the other the other thing that makes it hard for people to get into that show is that like every everyone is sort of terrible in it mm-hmm. but I think in that universe again the most likable person is the person who runs the sort of clean tech investing firm so anyway yeah it's interesting it's interesting
1: I have questions yes um does Does carbon capture and storage show up?
0: I think yes. And I'm struggling to remember details. But yes, there is some amount of carbon capture and storage. But it's not in this way of like, oh, this is going to save everything. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just sort of like one of a mix of technologies that they're looking at Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's handled well too because it's not like there's no one thing that's presented as a sort of silver bullet whenever something is presented as a silver bullet they always figure out that it's not you know Mm -hmm. so (laughs) So that's quite realistic too which is good so Um, it sounds like they deal
1: with greenwashing
0: they do yeah in a big way they absolutely do yes And like carbon offsets. They totally deal with
1: greenwashing,
0: carbon offsets, kind of phony net zero claims, a lot of like externalities and kind of unintended consequences of things. So, like, they really look at. Oh, okay, this is a solution in this one way, but it causes all these other problems. Like that that's a recurring thing okay. in a lot of the the sort of investments that they're making. So, it's it's good. I think it like I think in general the way that it sort of encourages people to think about the issue is like accurate and satisfyingly complicated. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's good. I like it. Thumbs up to them.
1: Yeah. So another show that I just started watching, because it just aired last week, just came out. It's called Five Days at Memorial. And it's uh, based on a book that I have had for about two years and have not read. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just so you know, I all, it. I almost would have had spoilers, but I don't because I didn't read the book. Actually, um, mm. Sarah Sneath, friend of the show, came over to to watch it with me, and I gave her the book. <laughs> oh, awesome. Hopefully she'll Hopefully, she read it and give me the spoilers <laughs> before the next episode. But anyhow, it's based on Katrina, mm. and it's all a true story. In the Memorial Hospital here in New Orleans that um, got hit—well, obviously, the whole city got hit pretty hard after Katrina— right and all of the chaos that ensued after after the storm so they didn't lose power in the storm they weren't flooded in the storm that kind of happened but the day afterward yeah the day after there were several other levee breaches and actually that's something that i i have a hard time remembering sometimes Because so much of Katrina was just, like, chaos. And, like, during that particular period, I and my family were cut off from from news. So we didn't know exactly what was happening in, in New Orleans during that time. And so it was it's interesting to see how they bring all of that to life the way that they portray how looting breaks out and also how rumors spread i actually thought they did a very good mm. job of that right like so there's a scene where That's there's great. one of the nurses outside she's smoking a cigarette And a security guard comes up to her and says, I don't know if you should be out here. I heard, you know, like people are, you know, things are a little bit unstable right now. And then she goes back in and she's like, yeah, the security guard told me to come in because apparently like people are getting attacked. And then next that turns into, I heard some nurses got attacked outside. And then that turns into her nurse got raped right outside in front of the building. And it's just like it all, nobody knows how to trust information. Like it was a massive Mm -hmm. communication breakdown. I thought that they did that very well i will say and i hope that this changes over the course of the show i am three episodes into this because they've released all three episodes on premiere day i ain't heard a single mm-hmm. new orleans accent not one. Oh, what come i on. have not heard a single new orleans accent and also That's bizarre also all of the main characters are white what how come on how how you doing a story about wow. Katrina? All your main characters are white? The fuck? That does
0: not make any kind of sense. Exactly.
1: And the white people are the only ones uh, when there is a Southern or a Louisiana accent. Again, I've not heard a New Orleans accent. But when there is a Louisiana mm. accent, it's a, it's a white person with one. Oh
0: white, they, they got
1: these black kids out here talking like they from Brooklyn. Bitch, what? That's crazy.
0: That is crazy.
1: So that's kind of not have me? anyone from New Orleans like consulting on the show. That's bizarre. That can't. I I refuse to believe that. I refuse. So Who I don't. They? I don't know How what happened. Um, I mean, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad I'm not hearing a Georgia accent because that is often a mistake people will make. They'll just like, <laughs> you know, like, have you ever seen True Blood? Yes. Why is yes. everybody in that tiny ass yes. town from totally different states? <laughs> <laughs> How did you get all these people? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So anyway, I am enjoying the show. It was rough. It was rough and triggering to watch all three of those episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. but I I do think they're overall. I'm interested to see where it goes. But like, can a bitch get an accent? And can a bitch yeah. get like a black main character? Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, I saw that advertised on Apple TV and wanted to watch it, so now I definitely will. Oh, you've got plenty of time to jump in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we want to talk about two shows that we have actually talked about before Mm -hmm. on the show, but they, they are worth bringing back in here, and those are I May Destroy You on HBO and The Politician on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. And we really love these for, for different reasons. Okay. So Mary, what are some of the things that you like about how I may destroy you talks about climate change?
1: I loved the way that it kind of sat in the background until it came into the foreground. So in the very first episode of uh, I May Destroy You, they're kind of just sitting mindlessly watching TV, almost looking like they're frozen into their couches. And if Mm -hmm. you look at what's on TV, it's um, this horrific storm playing out. No one says anything Mm -hmm. about it. It's not called out. It's kind of just like foreshadowing. And so then later on, the main character, she needs money. And she gets uh-huh. involved with this, like, vegan type of store. Uh-huh. They really want her to be on her, their social media. That's what they're paying her for, to endorse them on social media. And uh-huh. it's interesting because she cares about climate change. She cares about the environment. But she's wary of these white people at this store. This is a black show. So the, char- the main character uh-huh. is an uh-huh. a, a African person in London. And She goes to a party with her friends and they're like, oh, my God, you're a climateer. You're one of those now. And it turns into a very real conversation and some very real feelings. I think that a lot of people of color have about climate action and how it's framed as this like guilt trippy sort of thing. And how it's like, all Mm -hmm. it's all about personal responsibility, and all about like our ancestors did this without knowing, and blah blah blah. Like that doesn't sit right with people of color, right? Nor does you know the way that the white climate movement tries to use black faces to get themselves Mm -hmm. some sort of woke credibility. Which (laughs) I don't know a person of color in the climate movement who doesn't have some sort of icky experience with that. So, what about you? Yeah, I like how it was like part of
0: the world all along. Yeah. Again, I just I like it when shows do that that like it just seems more realistic to me that it's like, yeah, of course it's going to be on the news sometimes in the background, you know. And then I loved how they engaged with the kind of personal responsibility things specifically from the lens of both people of color and immigrant communities too that are like uh, hi, like my ancestors didn't even want to be here. Thanks. Yeah. What am I digging up? No
1: oil. till y'all
0: came over. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought, I just, I thought it was really smart. And again, it it was integrated into the story in a way that made sense for that story in that world for those characters. Um, It was not ham fisted at all. And actually like the vegan ads that she was doing, that whole scene was hilarious. Like, <laughs> the, the stuff. Yeah. She they she managed to make it funny. In that. They made yeah. it really funny. Yeah.
1: That entire series did such a great job at making really difficult things funny and digestible. Because yes. the entire yes. thing is about sexual assault. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It is, and it's very yeah. like
0: it's very disturbing, but it is, yeah, also hilarious? I know that sounds terrible, but it's true. They do, they do a really good job of, of making that true. Today's episode is sponsored by Ravensburger Puzzles. I don't think I've ever been so excited about an advertiser in my life because yes, I am a giant puzzle nerd. And Ravensburger makes the best puzzles, as anyone who loves puzzles will tell you. I live in a place where we actually get pretty frequent power outages. (laughs) And, And when we do, I like to freak out a puzzle. It's also a fun way to keep my kids off of their screens and do something sort of calm and meditative together. It's very satisfying when you snap that last piece into place. If you are looking for a calm and mindful exercise, I highly recommend checking out Ravensburger. Regardless of your preferences or skill level, you'll find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you perfectly thanks to the wide range of imagery, themes, and piece counts available. You can start small with a a pretty straightforward puzzle and work your way up to over 40,000 pieces. Are you up for the challenge? Shop Ravensburger on Amazon today. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly... EarthBreeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying, but EarthBreeze sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40% for 0 40%. Go to earth breeze.com slash drilled that's e-a-r-t-h-b-r-e-e-z-e.com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription earthbreeze.com slash drilled So um, the other show that we've talked about before but is worth kind of drawing attention to, again, is the show The Politician on Netflix, which devoted its entire second season to a climate storyline in in a way that, again, like, made a ton of sense for those characters in that world and was done so well. I, I, I still think it's, like, one of the best examples of incorporating climate into a show
1: exactly yeah so uh, the basic storyline we did a whole episode on this i encourage folks to go back Mm -hmm. and listen to and also encourage them to go watch it so the politician centers on this guy who is who feels he is destined to become the president of the united states and the way that manifests is in season one he's running for student body president and becomes like absurdly cutthroat and then in season two he is running for local city council in new york city and it also becomes absurdly competitive however he is running on a climate change platform and Uh he's running on a climate platform both because he cares about it but also because he believes it's the only thing that gets young people out to vote especially in you know a local election it's not a presidential election and also the people around him all care about climate change for very different reasons. And the show does such a yes. great job of showing people who came into climate action through personal responsibility and because they want to reduce waste. People who came into it for political reasons, people who came into it because, you know, they're worried about the world burning before their eyes. And the other interesting thing about it is that he's running against a woman who's had the seat since a for a really long time for a, a smooth couple of decades and she mm-hmm. does have a climate platform but it's not nearly as radical as it needs to be or as radical as mm-hmm. as his and you know it it really does feel like a fight for its survival and that's certainly how a lot of his followers take it and also kind of how he the candidate takes it um and it's it's just an interesting Illustration of the generational divide between liberal boomers and progressive millennials.
0: Mm-hmm. So interesting. There's that whole um, plot line of like the the young activist and her mom too. That I mm-hmm. thought did such a good job. Well, and him and his mom too. It's really good. I I think it's really really well done. They
1: really Gwyneth Paltrow they do a good job. This
0: is mom. Yes, Gwyneth Paltrow plays his mom, and is kind of like similar to what she's, like, criticized for in real life. So I'm not sure if, if that was, like, self-awareness or what. But um, but anyway, it's quite entertaining to
1: watch. And yeah. Yeah. The thing to know about that show is that you're not really supposed to like any of the characters. That's and right. <laughs> I think what That's a lot right. of folks, especially, you know, the climate diehards got wrong about the show is that they take any the main character's viewpoint as the viewpoint of the show. And it's not. Mm-hmm. The viewpoint of the mm-hmm. show is across the universe of the characters. I will say right. one thing I think the politician could have done better is showing the the intricacies of climate justice and engaging more with race. Yes. Yeah, there's like
0: one episode where the one woman of color on his team... Kind of talks about this, but it, it feels like something that was like tacked on at the end. Like the writers' room was like, "Oh shit, we didn't engage with this in any way," and mm-hmm. then added that in in a way that I'm just like, "Oh come on!" Like if, if I wish that like that had had the same kind of really comprehensive, nuanced treatment that the rest of the um, the season had. But you know, maybe next time. Maybe yeah. we'll, maybe they'll get there next
1: time. Yeah I, yeah, I they did a great job of setting up for another season. There's no reason that next season shouldn't talk about climate change, so I'm I'm hoping to see that announcement soon. Yeah. And real quick before we get into movies, I just want to plug that I I've been watching rap shit on HBO is Issa Rae's new show and it's set in Miami. Oh, cool. And please, mm-hmm. please, please give me at least a little wink and a nod to climate change, Issa. Please. God, come on. It's in Miami. Come, come on. Now. Please. Come on. Come I know through. you care. I know you care. You mentioned it in Insecure. Yes. So this is yeah. the time. Awesome. All right.
0: That's it for
1: TV shows.
0: Let's talk about movies because it's showing up in movies in a big way, too.
1: It is.
0: I want to talk about a film that... I actually watched at a time when I was having like intense climate anxiety, like couldn't sleep, was really like feeling overwhelmed. And this movie kind of helped with that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. But anyway, it's called Woman at War. Mm -hmm. Um, It's set in Iceland and it focuses on like, like someone is, is trying to actually just take down, power lines in the country. And, you know, they sort of send a manifesto to the local press that, that like, they're doing this um, because the country is not taking appropriate action on climate change. Um, And I I won't give away like who's doing it and why and all that stuff. But but it was like, it's not PP. No, Um, but it's really good. It's really good. And it like, made me feel like, I don't know, like, okay, there's always still stuff that we can do. You know, it sort of reinforces that message, which of course, like, you know, we are quite fond of here too. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I liked it. It was good. And I think it's on Hulu still. That's where I watched it. And I think it's still there. So yeah, people can check that out. Mm -hmm. All right. Then at the other end of the spectrum, you and I both watched (laughs) a film today that our executive producer, Michael Martinez, has been hyping to us for months. (laughs) Why
1: are you putting Michael on blast like this? (laughs)
0: Poor Michael. (laughs) It stars one Gerard Butler, and
1: it is called
0: Geostorm.
1: Geostorm. I remember seeing this advertised on, like, bus. Uh, little bus terminals in New York um, back at the time. And it was during the time that I was having a lot of like, you know, what we've come to call climate visions, you know, where you think you're seeing a natural disaster, but like actually nothing's wrong. And Mm -hmm. so seeing those ads would would, like fuck with me sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of why I avoided watching the movie. But now I've watched it or at least the first half. I don't know. What did you think, Amy?
0: I watched the whole thing. I made it all the way through. So proud. And it is, it's very entertaining. It's like totally one of those just super goofy action films where there's like a lot of fun things to make fun of, including (laughs) Gerard Butler's terrible attempt at an american accent Mm. um and his and his facial expression which goes between like mad and worried that's about
1: it you know (laughs) i kind of thought he was just from boston i didn't realize he was doing a bad american (laughs) accent um yes yeah you know i all i heard was um, asshole oh yeah
0: (laughs) yeah he is uh he's scottish which i only know because my husband is scottish I will, I will tape him saying the name Gerard Butler for you just so that you know what it sounds like when Scottish people talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. Best abs of any Scottish guy ever. Gerard Butler. They're very proud. They're very proud of uh, their top export, Gerard Butler. <laughs> and- <laughs>
1: So the premise of the movie is basically that by, you know, we warned, we were warned about climate change, but nobody did anything. And then in 2019, all of these mega disasters started rolling in. And so all of these scientists from all over the world got together and by golly, they fixed it. They made this big old intergalactic contraption that zaps storms, zaps fires. It's all good now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's called mm-hmm. inexplicably, <laughs> inexplicably, Dutch boy, Dutch boy. <laughs> yes. So I'm gonna start yes. my questions so there as somebody crazy. who did not finish the movie. Why is it called Dutch boy?
0: <laughs> I have no idea. It's it remains inexplicable the whole film through, and this this is like the most ridiculous geoengineering like mental <laughs> masturbation exercise ever. And also like there's a bunch of things that go wrong, but it's not because the geoengineering part doesn't work or that it's like bad. It's because like some bad person tampers yeah, with politics it. got involved. You know, the moral of the story is like geoengineering is great as long as like you have the right people yes. in charge. And I'm yes. like, oh God. But they never like nothing else ever changes. They never like stop emitting or stop using fossil fuels or change anything at all they just throw up this crazy like force field around the earth that protects the planet from
1: everything and no like no side consequences
0: either (laughs) no none none there's there's not suddenly any new issues it's just all upside until this like one guy decides to try to use it to take out all the enemies of the united states which then you get like this whole scene of that happening and it's like so the enemies of the united states are like russians saudi arabians (laughs) you know it's like this montage of all these different like enemies getting wiped out by you know extreme weather events oh it's just ridiculous and then gerard butler of course saves the day He stops there from being like a, a, you know, catastrophic geostorm, which is like several extreme weather events happening at once. And then he also like somehow manages to reboot the system, save all the other astronauts, get back to Earth. It's just ridiculous. So it's
1: basically a drone and a geoengineering thing in the same thing. So you could send a fire to somebody's house to kill them with this thing. You know what would be easier? (laughs) Just setting it on fire, like the old-fashioned way. Some matches. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it would be. It absolutely would be. It also kind of sounds like this is why so many people think that there is a tension between mitigating and adapting to climate change. Because you throw this contraption out there, but you keep emitting... like you're not controlling the variables, sweetie. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that doesn't right. make sense. So yeah. like you sent it up there to deal with, you know, the emission level we were at in 2019, but then you keep on emitting like crazy. So by mm-hmm. 2022, it's obsolete.
0: That's right. Yep.
1: Oh my that's God, exactly. that's a plot hole.
0: I know. It, well, this thing is really quite full of, of plot holes.
1: You know, this is like the original climate movie, movie which I know you know what I'm talking about. The day so after is it tomorrow. The day after
0: tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is like the poor man's day after tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Geostorm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a little yeah. more sophisticated. Alright, we're Sorry.
0: gonna it's a little more sophisticated. It is. It is. It's true. It's true. Alright, we're gonna take one more ad break and then we're gonna talk about the other big climate movie that everybody's been talking about. And the limit should be.
1: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Whether you're struggling with grief, relationships, or stress, or having trouble sleeping or meeting goals, online therapy might be for you. BetterHelp is secure online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with a licensed professional therapist. They can assess your needs and match you with an accredited therapist in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if you need to. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hot Take and join the more than 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Wow. Hot Take listeners get 10% off their first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash Hot Take. That's BetterHelp.com slash Hot Take.
0: is stressing me out this will affect the entire planet i
1: know but it's like
0: so stressful the comet headed directly towards earth do you know how many the world is ending meetings we've had over the last two years drought famine Hole oh. in the ozone is so boring all right so mary i know that you have seen don't look up I as have, have i and i looked we- at it did not talk about it on the podcast because we weren't quite back yet when it came out. And then also there were there were still kind of a lot of, I think, unhelpful conversations happening around it um, for a for a minute there that we weren't necessarily in a hurry to engage with. But what did like what did you think of the movie itself? Nah, bitch, you go first. Me? Okay. I thought it was entertaining as just a movie I, like a lot of, you know, climate nerds, I I definitely had certain parts of it that I kind of took issue with. W- one of which was um, that I, I felt like the characters were kind of flat. Like, there wasn't enough detail about any of them to give you that, like, that feeling that you get from stuff like, you know, Silicon Valley or Succession, where you're like, oh the people writing this, like, really know this so well that they're able to, like, pull in these little details. Um,
1: so but to be fair, it's a movie, not a series. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's a
0: movie, not a series. And I also thought that, like, the whole... I wasn't thrilled with, like, the the whole, like, dinner scene at the end. But I, I feel like it's like, okay, look, we can, like, quibble about, like, things, you know, that maybe... I would have done differently if like I wrote the movie or whatever. But like, I think overall it was entertaining. My husband who's not in the climate world, like is uh, like I said before, he's just married to me and is like a sci-fi guy. He liked it as like a fun, funny sci-fi movie. So, and I think that's really like kind of was the point. It wasn't to make everybody in climate world happy. It was like, to kind of reach a broader audience, which I think it probably—I mean, yeah. I know it did. We know it did just from the numbers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what about you?
1: So I like that they were willing to take some risk with the storytelling. They they used a lot of humor, mm-hmm. which I don't—I've never really seen done before, especially not in a movie. And I think it was actually pretty effective. I I loved Jonah mm-hmm. Hill in it, like. Just any time oh, the camera love, was on I Jonah Hill, I was him. like, "Love yeah. it." <laughs> yeah, it's I also like yeah. that they let the bad thing happen because, kind of like I was saying about Monsterland yeah. earlier, there's always yes. like this secret safety hatch. That and or even in Geostorm, like you were saying a minute ago, there's always this little trap door to Mm -hmm. to get us out of trouble. And but that doesn't happen without massive systemic change. And so in Don't Look Up, they kind of let you see that, you know, sometimes if you keep going the way you are, you're going to get where you're going. And also when all the Mm -hmm. rich folks decided they were going to go to a different planet, shit wasn't sweet on the other planet. You know, it's like. Right, You can't just, like, terraform some other planet, think there ain't no other animals on there, and, like, think you're going to be the apex predator. I loved
0: that, actually. I really loved that, that, like, all these people, like, wealthy people who, you know, had their whole escape hatch plan. It was not, it did not go well for them.
1: And the way, (laughs) you know, know, the way that the politics kind of obscured... The severity of the emergency, I really did like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were things about mm-hmm. the movie that I wasn't that crazy about, but there are more indictments of Hollywood as an industry than they are indictments of that individual That's movie right. because no one climate movie is going to do all the things. I loved how they dealt mm-hmm. with the media.
0: I thought that was really, really good. And I, I mean, I've totally... I think we've all seen media do that thing of like... But, but, like, no, we need, we need good news to give people. We have to give we people, to keep like, a, a positive yeah. spin. We try to keep it light around here. You know? Yeah. Like, that was so... I mean, we still hear mm-hmm. that all the time. You, you gotta know? give them hope, um, Amy, because they're not adults. Gotta give them hope. You gotta give them hope. And, like, well, yeah, even I find this, like, when I pitch editors and stuff, too, they're, like you know, well, what are, what are the solutions that we can give people? What are the takeaways we can give people that are things that they can do to help with this problem? And I'm like, (laughs) Oh, you You could treat them Um, like adults. So that was good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I thought that was good. I I liked the Jennifer Lawrence character too. There were times when she freaked out that I was like, I can really relate to like her (laughs) at this moment being like, Oh my god, fuck all of you. You know? And also, oh, that whole thing where like her male boss like takes credit for her work and then and then sort of tries to become like a celebrity mm-hmm. climate scientist. Very, very like all of that was actually really I'm like, oh yeah, I've 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 seen all of these things happen. So yeah, I thought that was good. And I think honestly, like the, the biggest thing I saw a lot of people in the climate space sort of bickering about like whether or not an asteroid was a good metaphor. And like, you know, it was kind damn of, clear
1: that that movie was about climate change. Damn yeah. Clear. Yeah.
0: And then, and kind of, you know, taking issue with this or that detail in the film. And I feel like I get it. I get that because there are so few climate movies, there's like a, desire to do that. But I think that like, I don't know. I feel like it's important for folks to understand that like getting a movie like that made and having it be as successful as that that movie was like, that was the number one Yeah, it has tons of celebrities in it. It was the number one thing on Netflix for like a while. It got an Academy Award nomination. It got millions and millions of downloads. That all opens the door to so many more climate movies and TV Mm -hmm. shows. Like you're already seeing that happen. I've already seen announcements for a bunch of like books and TV shows and films and everything else that I just don't think we would have seen without that. And unfortunately, that's totally how it works. You know, like, Hollywood is a, an industry and they want to know that people will watch things about this topic. And that movie proved mm-hmm. that they would. Um, yeah. So, I feel like that that was a yeah, huge success. I also
1: think having that metaphor of the asteroid, you know, that freed them from having to create a metaphor for the fossil fuel industry, which... Allowed them mm. to explore how politicians have been barriers to action and how the media has played into it. Because again, mm-hmm. no movie can do mm-hmm. everything. So it allowed them to talk right. we all that's we right. talk about the fossil fuel industry a lot now. <laughs> you know, we haven't for a long time. But we don't often talk enough about how the media has been complicit, how our politics has been complicit. And that's really what don't look up focused on. That's
0: right. Okay. We have to talk about, I think, I think probably both of our favorite climate movie, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we've we've written about this in the newsletter, but never talked about it on the show. And that is Beasts of the Southern Wild, which predates all of the things yeah. that we've talked about and is still better than anything I've ever seen made. Oh, this is my favorite climate. movie,
1: period. The whole universe depends on everything fitting together just right. Have one piece bust
0: even the smallest piece. The entire universe will get bust.
1: It's so and good. When it I first so saw good. it in two thousand twelve when it came out, I did not clock that it was about climate change. Because I wasn't really I wasn't in the climate world. I wasn't doing climate work at that point in my life. So it like climate change seemed like a distant possibility (laughs) as opposed to reality to me at that point. Um, But going back and watching it in 2020, it was like it was so explicitly about climate change.
0: Mm -hmm. The opening Mm -hmm. scene is
1: very explicitly about ice caps melting and, you know, you're going to have to learn how to survive in a different world. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the movie is set in rural Louisiana, rural coastal Louisiana. So in a place that is really swampy, really vulnerable to sea level rise and the children are going to kind of like a makeshift school, kind of like a one-room school the way they used to do, not, not even that long ago, where all the kids are getting the same sort of lesson regardless of age. And what these kids are being taught is about how to, you know, hunt, essentially, how to get meat off an animal and eat it. And it's, very explicitly being taught that the sea levels are going to rise and what they where they live, which they call the bathtub, is going to be flooded. And you're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And the main action mm-hmm. of the movie settles on this really ferocious hurricane um, that floods where they live and they have to essentially fight for the right to stay there. And just so many yeah. facets of it are really beautiful and it really does come down to your ability to survive this crisis is about the strength of your community and your positionality yep. in it and how you all have to just yep. have each other's backs yeah it's so it's like it's i love all of
0: the school scenes in it and then how you kind of see people come back into that group to take care of each other later and it's just so like yeah i don't know it's lovely and it's it's sort of like sad it's sad in parts and and um troubling but also like kind of
1: it's extremely sad but it ends triumphantly and kind of like with this resolve to survive it's it's defiant the movie is defiant yeah
0: Yes, that's the, that's a good re- resolve. I think it's like, yeah, like this sort of defiant resolution at the end to like uh, that that comes back to these like human ties and this the strength mm-hmm. of this community. It's very beautiful and it's very beautiful mm-hmm. looking, too. So it's sort of like, uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just so good. And it's old, right? When was it Uh, done? 2012 is when it came out. And it also does a really good job at creating a a sense of place. Like, the environment seems Mm -hmm. just as much a character as the actual characters. And it's very true to the character Mm -hmm. of, of coastal Louisiana. And the accents are fucking perfect. So whoever worked on the accents on that show, which I know they actually casted a lot of local people who, like, you know, (laughs) they didn't really have to work on the accents. That's just how they talk. But can Mm y'all talk to the people at Five Mm -hmm. Days at Memorial? Because what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Also... That director was like a
0: European white guy. So if he can get New Orleans accents right, then surely the people. You know, there are (laughs) actors from Louisiana.
1: There are actors from from New Orleans. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. So
0: but yeah. Yeah. It's it's so good. Just yeah. Like cannot recommend that movie.
1: Mm hmm. It, it is by far the greatest climate movie of all time. And I'll I'll go up against anybody on that. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: before we wrap up here, I want to just list off some really amazing sounding recommendations that we got from readers and just have not had time to watch yet, but absolutely plan to. And maybe if you're looking for recommendations, you'll like them too. Um, so the movie First Reformed, there's one called Luzu, Someone recommended episode one of Love, Sex, and Robots on Netflix, and then an Indian film called Kadvi Hawa.
1: So again,
0: haven't watched any of these ourselves, but they all sounded good when folks wrote in to tell yeah. us about them. And also so, send us, you know, send
1: check us those your out. recommendations. Don't send those to Brian. We'll take those directly, actually. You can tweet at us. You can, um, yeah, just tweet at us, actually. Do we have an email address? Yeah, that's we do. It's
0: hot takes at criticalfrequency org. But you can tweet at us at real hot take. Or send us a DM on Twitter too. Some of these came that way. If you have more. We'll stick these on our website at hottakepod.com. Um we'll put a post up there with T V and film recommendations so that you can find that easily anytime you're looking. All right. I feel like we got into a lot of good stuff and we'll see you next time when we're back to talking about news and politics enjoy your watching
1: <laughs> hey hotcakes, it's mary we are pretty clear on this show that you don't need to understand all the science to care about or even to understand climate change but at the same time, we understand that you might have a few questions about the climate science. You might have a few curiosities. Um, so, we are planning a special mailbag episode where we will go through your scientific questions and more. Um, and you can send those questions to hottake at crooked.com. That's hottake at crooked.com. Um, we're planning to have this episode in sometime in September, and we will be inviting on a fantastic climate scientist to help us talk through these things. Um, so again, send your questions to hottake at crookedmedia.com. Hot Take is a Crooked Media production.
0: It's produced by Ray Pang and mixed and edited by Jules Bradley. Our music is by Vasilius Fotopoulos. Thamali Kotakara is our consulting producer. And our executive producers are Mary Anais Hegler, Michael Martinez, and me, Amy Westervelt.
1: Special thanks to Sandy Gerard, Ari Schwartz, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support. And to Amelia Montooth for digital support.
0: You can follow the show on Twitter at RealHotTake. Sign up for our newsletter at hottakepod.com. And subscribe to Crooked Media's video channel at YouTube.com.